morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Today is Monday, April 19th, and you are listening to Rocket City Lift. everyone. Welcome back to Rocket City Lift. I'm Tara Bolger. And I'm Brett Gittiman. We come to you three times a week and try to bring a bit of a spiritual lift to your day. Today we're going to be talking about one of the first deacons. His name was Stephen in the church. But before we begin, let's have a moment of prayer. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you are the one who forgives us when we stumble, when we fall down, when we forget, when we hurt. May we come to you and seek that grace and mercy which you always freely give. Amen. Amen. Listen to this story from the seventh chapter of Acts, verses 54 through 60. When they heard these things, they became enraged and ground their teeth at Stephen. But filled with the Holy Spirit, he gazed into heaven, and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they covered their ears, and with a loud shout all rushed together against him. Then they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning Stephen, he prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out in a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he died. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Tara, it feels like we're kind of entering this story in the middle or the end, should we say. Um, But who the heck is this Stephen? Why are people grinding their teeth at him? What's going on? Yeah, and the minute I started reading it, I was like, oh, should have given the backstory. <laughs> um, so this is um, the new church. And the way the new church was kind of structured is that there was a core group of disciples who stayed in Jerusalem, and then others were sent out to care, most notably Paul, Barnabas at one point, Timothy. Um, but a lot of them come back and say, there are some widows who say that they're not being cared for. Um, and the Bible is very clear, especially about widows and orphans, about caring for them. And so the disciples get together and they say, we should find some people who are dedicated to just caring for people. And they did, and they called them deacons. And Stephen is one of the first deacons. Um, Stephen is also, um, I think I would say, eloquent in that um, when he's out in the community, Um, he preaches, he talks a lot about why they believe the way they do. And so by the time we get to this passage, the community is angry, not the Christian community, but the community around them, um, is really angry at Stephen. So angry that they're willing to stone him. Does that sound like what you remember from the text? That sounds like a fantastic lead. And so he gets, he gets martyred. Uh, he, he is killed for his, for his faith, uh, so what is the point of martyrdom? Is it something we're supposed to emulate? Is this something in the Bible we read and we want to pursue? Or is it something else? You know, there is, um, I think in some circles, this Christian idea that you should suffer 
um, mm-hmm. for the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. I think suffering comes as a part of life. I don't think it has anything to do with, you know, doing it especially for the gospel. I think we're supposed to read about Stephen's martyrdom and realize that because he's filled with the Holy Spirit, he loves those people even as they kill him. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what's really amazing. It's also, you know, every time I read a scripture, I see something new, right? They laid their coats at the feet of Saul who persecuted Christians. Well, where else have cloaks been laid out before mm-hmm. in front of Jesus when he comes into Jerusalem? So. There's this crowd who are wanting to crown the wrong person as like their leader, um, and they are going to stone Stephen to death. And it's very clear that he is able to have a spiritual experience even at that moment. And because of it, he is able, like Jesus, to ask for forgiveness for the people who are hurting him. And I think that is truly remarkable. Um, I was thinking that I I think when there are really heavy issues, um, I probably am a little better at forgiveness. But like, you know, if you cut me off in traffic, it's over. You know what I mean? It's like I have a friend to uh, an older lady at my home church who is from South Georgia, and she had this real thick accent, and she would say, it's not the alligators that'll get you. It's the gnats, you know, It's mm. and it is right. Um, mm. I have a hard time forgiving the gnats mm-hmm. um, and carrying that resentment around. Mm-hmm. But that's a lot of Tara talking. What do you yeah. think? <laughs> well, yeah, no, I totally agree with you. Of um, Yeah, Christians have, have kind of struggled with, like, with not being able to be martyred. You know, uh, after after the big early church where uh, Christianity was illegal and many people, many Christians were killed for their faith, they were martyred, uh, and then Christian becomes... Christianity becomes the national religion. Thanks, Constantine. Thanks, Constantine. And it's after that that that's when uh, monastic communities start because mm-hmm. people are like, well, we can't be killed for our faith anymore, so let's go suffer for our faith out in the desert. Yeah. Um, uh, and so we've tried to um, – I, I don't think we're called to fabricate suffering. Um, I think we're called to give things up. I think we're called to be aesthetic in ways that lead us towards Christ. Um, but suffering for suffering's sake, uh, I don't see that in the story of Scripture. Um, it is inconceivable to me that our Lord and Savior would want suffering for others. I think the Scripture is clear that God, Christ, Holy Spirit always hope for love, for peace, um, but we live in an imperfect world. Jesus didn't die on the cross so that we would go crucify ourselves mm-hmm. for crucifying ourselves sake um but it's but it's that as you said uh if you're you know oftentimes suffering just comes because we are human uh and so uh it's in how do we respond to that suffering and for Stephen, you know what has prepared him in leading up to that suffering um we know that he has been serving the church we know that he's been serving the widow and the out and so when it gets to this point uh, where he suffers, immensely suffers to the point of death, um, then that is something that in its uh, ironic craziness that he is drawn closer to God, that he has this spiritual experience. But I don't think that happens without 
the monotony of going through the committee of trying to figure out how we feed these people and how yeah. we care for these people and and sure is arduous and frustrating and uh you know difficult but that that is a, i think a really important thing that precedes what happens in this incredible uh, end of life story that we get with Stephen. yeah i think you're right and um you know i think for Stephen, even at the end it doesn't feel like it's us and them. Mm-hmm. It feels like, you know what I mean? It doesn't feel like they're his adversaries. Mm-hmm. Um, it, he is still loving them even to the end. And that just, I think, is so beautiful. I I hesitate to say this because I'm sure I'll get something wrong. Um, but won't be the first time. <laughs> you know, when the Columbine shootings happened, I think that was the one where there was a young girl who was told, um, you know, to renounce her faith mm-hmm. or they would kill her mm-hmm. and she didn't do it and she died and she was kind of held up as this paragon of faithfulness and i i love that she was a young person who could claim what she believed to the very end but i feel like that's missing the point the point is that we love christ so much we don't want any more death Mm-hmm. And we need to work to do the things. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. we don't need to put her on a pedestal. Mm-hmm. We need to get to work, loving humanity, helping with mental illness and all that sort of thing. Um, this may be the first one where we get, like, hate mail. I don't know. but <laughs> Well, I mean, yeah, I, th- I think of the um, story of uh, and that they turned into a movie of Silence uh, by uh, Endo... Can't remember his name, but it's about um, Jesuit missionaries going to Japan. Um, and at the end of this novel, um, he is told to renounce Christ by stepping on a picture of Christ, which is, you know, for yeah. for, for, for Jesuit priests the most uh, inconceivable, disrespectful thing. It's it's a renouncement of his faith, but uh, he does it because there are people who are part of his flock who he went there to to tell about the love of Christ who are being tortured. Yeah. And they're going to continue being tortured unless he renounces faith. And so it's this really um, powerful moment where he sees that Christ can take on that kind of indignity uh, in order to care for people. So I want to jump in here and I want to read our quote and then kind of connect it back to what we're Mm -hmm. talking about. But it's from Kierkegaard, and he has written that the tyrant dies and his rule is over. The martyr dies and his rule begins. Mm. The rule is not to suffer and die. The rule is to love, even in the most difficult of circumstances. That's what we need to live. When we, when I read rule in that, you think power. Uh, and, you know, the power of the tyrant is the power of fear. Uh, mm-hmm. And the power that truly begins and lives on uh, for much further is, is that power of, of love. Amen. Thank you all for being with us today. We'll be back on Wednesday to discuss a passage that uh, relates to this one. We hope you will join us. Now may each of you go out to love and to serve, to be well, to care for yourselves and others, knowing that the grace and love of God is ever upon you. Amen.